I want you to listen very attentively, very prayerfully to the scripture reading for this morning's message. We're going to be thinking about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us in a very specific way. And I'm going to be reading from the last book in the Bible, uh, Revelation chapter 1, the first eight verses. And I want you to listen very prayerfully uh, as you think about all that Jesus is, all that Jesus has done for us. A revealing of Jesus, the Messiah, God gave it uh, to, to make plain to his servants that what is about to happen. He published and delivered it by angel to his servant, John. And John told everything he saw. God's word, the witness of Jesus Christ. How blessed the reader. How blessed the hearers and keepers of these oracle words. All the words written in this book. Time is just about up. I, John, am writing this to the seven churches in Asia province. All the best to you from the God who is the God who was, and the God who is about to arrive, and from the seven spirits assembled before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, loyal witness, firstborn from the dead, ruler of all earthly kings. Glory and strength to Christ, who loves us, who blood washed our sins from our lives, who made us a kingdom, priests for his Father, forever, and yes, he's on his way. Riding the clouds, he'll be seen by every eye. Those who mocked and killed him will see him. People from all nations and all times will tear their clothes and lament, oh yes. The master declares, I'm A to Z. I'm the God who is, the God who was, and the God about to arrive. I'm the sovereign strong. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Those of us who follow Jesus Christ never really get tired of talking about him. And we also never cease to be surprised at all of the various dimensions of him as a person and as a work in our lives so that we're always experiencing sort of a, a, fresh, a fresh encounter with him in a, in a very powerful way. Uh, that's evidently what happened to the Apostle John because the book of Revelation is the revelation uh, that word means the unveiling or the disclosing. The Greek word for it is apocalypse. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, to John when he was alone on an island of Patmos. And this is the sermon or set of sermons that Jesus Christ, the risen one, preached to him. And out of that, uh, John crafted this beautiful, amazing story uh, and this beautiful vision that is the book of Revelation. The first eight verses of the very first chapter basically introduce everything else that's going to be talked about in the rest of this book of the Bible. And John, for our purposes, uh, has helped us identify the three offices of Jesus Christ that you hear referenced sometimes in hymns and songs and prayers. And uh, art, Christian art through the centuries, picked up on this, the office of prophet and priest and king. And... Uh, you could go back, you could Google that theme, and you could uh, ask uh, the search for the, the artwork related to Jesus Christ as prophet and priest and king. We're going to leave that on the screen for a while to help you who are visual learners to just think about all the things that John packs into these brief eight verses. He says, first of all, that Jesus Christ is the prophet. Jesus Christ preached the word 
to John, and then John is sharing this word in writing. Uh, That's what prophecy is. It's preaching. And it was originally preached, as Scripture said in uh, one of the early verses, to seven churches of Asia Minor. Now, that is modern-day Turkey. And if you get a map out and look at it, it's probably an old postal route, the old mail route that delivered mail to those seven cities. And it was a uh, perhaps uh, a collective pastorate by John. Maybe John pastored these seven small congregations. But this word of Jesus Christ came through John, originally to the seven churches, but then to us, to all of the world for all time. And they are powerful words. In fact, they are very biblical words. I want to share with you an amazing statistic. I just learned this a few weeks ago. There are 404 verses in the 22 chapters of Revelation. 404 verses. And in those 404 verses, there are 518 references to the first testament of Scripture, what we call the Old Testament. 404 verses, 518 references to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. Now, they're not all quoted directly, but they are alluded to and they are referenced, which shows you that this is a very biblical word that comes to us, and it is a word of prophecy. Now, I want to dismantle something that's probably in your mind when you hear the word prophecy. Prophecy in the Bible does not primarily mean predicting the future. Prophecy, when used in the Bible, means preaching. It means announcing the good news and how it applies to the present historical situation. It's not crystal ball gazing. It is, it is speaking God's word, preaching. Uh, as someone has said very well, it's not foretelling, it's telling forth. It's not future kind of stuff. It is telling forth God's word and how that might impact the future, but specifically to the present and the now. Uh, and to be honest with you, some of us read the book of Revelation for the wrong reasons. You know, we're trying to figure out end-time things, and we think we want to get, uh, you know, a leg up on everybody else and, and figure things out. It's not that. One commentary I read this week said, it's not for the curious, it's for the committed. It's for people who are followers of Jesus Christ. Because in verse 3, we heard these words, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of prophecy, the words of this preaching, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. See, what we don't need is more information about the end times. What we don't need is more information. What we need is to obey what we already understand. And so it's not for the curious, it's for the committed, and it's for us to enter into. So Jesus is our prophet. He's our teacher. He's our preacher. And because he is our preacher, our prophet, we need to listen to him. It's that simple. We need to listen to him. The second image that is lifted up by John in Revelation 1 is the image of priest. You see the, uh, the lamb that's a, a depiction of Christ, the lamb who was sacrificed. In fact, halfway through verse 5, Scripture says of Jesus, he who loves us, and freed and washed us from our sins by his blood. Now, notice the tense of the verbs. It's very important. He who loves us, present tense, ongoing, he keeps loving us, he still loves us, he loves us every day, 
He who loves us and washed and freed us, past tense, from our sins by his blood. That is a completed action. Doesn't ever have to be repeated. It's once and for all. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us as our priest. He was both the priest making the offering and he was the lamb who was the sacrifice. He's our priest. Now, did you know that in Latin, the word priest means bridge builder? It's the word pontifex, from which we get the word, get the word pontiff. The word priest in Latin originally meant bridge builder. Now, I want you to think of an image. I want you to think of you on one side and God on the other. And at first, our sins, our guilt, and our shame just cut a small ditch uh, in the the ground between God and us. But then self-hatred, more shame, more sin, more embarrassment, more guilt, and it cuts a little deeper and it's a ditch. And then more sin, more cycles of guilt and self-hatred, more fear of what God would think of us, and it digs a little deeper, and it's a ravine, and then pretty soon it's a huge canyon, and God's on one side, and we're on the other. But the scripture says he's our priest. He keeps building the bridge to us. He keeps bringing us into the, God, into the Father's presence. Jesus, the priest, keeps building the bridge across the chasm. He always loves us. He's already paid for our sins. We don't have to pay for them ourselves. We don't have to try to earn God's love. Jesus Christ is the bridge builder. He is the priest. And that means that a priest who understands everything we've been through, everything we're going through today, everything we feel, he's been touched by everything that's ever tempted us or caused us struggle or heartache. I love the story of a man who was asked to give his Christian testimony and uh, he, uh, he, he didn't know what to do because he'd never done that sort of thing. So he just stood up before the other believers and he said, Well, all I can tell you is when fear and doubt and guilt come knocking at the door, I just let Jesus answer. And he said it, didn't he? When fear and doubt and guilt are knocking at the door, we don't have to answer it ourselves. We let our priest answer it the one who has borne all of our sins, the one who's paid the price for us, and the one who always loves us. Jesus is our priest, therefore we need to trust him. We need to trust him every day. But there's that third image, that third office, Jesus Christ the King. So we need to not only listen to him as prophet, not only uh, trust him as priest, but we need to worship him as king. Now, there were two big surprises tucked in this passage of Scripture that we lose in the 21st century. Because in the first century, people would have gotten this and would have been shocked. And the shock goes in two directions. And so we kind of have to reconstruct it to get some of the shock of these first eight verses. Here's the first shock. The first shock is a shock experienced by faithful Jews who were covenant promised people who loved God and who were Israelites and kept all of the rules. And they worshiped God alone. The shock for them was that everything that God is called in the first testament of scripture, 
Jesus is called in verses 1 through 8. Every name, every description of God in the Hebrew Old Testament is now applied to God. He who is, he who was, he who will be, the Almighty, the Everlasting King, the one who has dominion. Just read the Psalms side by side with verses 1 through 8 of Revelation 1. Every name given to Jesus here is a name that was given to God and God alone in the Old Testament. That was a shock that Jesus is with God reigning. The, sh- the other shock is from a different direction. It's a shock that Roman citizens experienced, uh, pagans, non-believers experienced, because every name that was attributed to Caesar, the emperor, in their culture is now given to Jesus Christ alone. All those accolades for the, for the emperor, for Caesar, as the one who is, the one who was, and the one who will be, the ruler of the kings of the earth, Wow, can you imagine what a slap in the face that was to Caesar when he figured out, these people don't think I'm the ruler of the earth. These people don't think I'm king of all kings and lord of all lords. And what a slap in the face to any earthly ruler today or in any era who thinks that they rule, that they are, that they are above God or above Jesus. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's audacious, that's bold. And that's the claim of Scripture. And you see, Caesar never came back from the dead. Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. And there is no political situation, there is no personal situation beyond the reach of the risen Christ. We need to remember that. There is nothing beyond the reach of the risen Christ. He's sovereign. You know what that word means? To be a sovereign king means that you are free to be king any way you want. You you are your own rules. That's what sovereignty means. But I'm just thankful that Jesus chooses to be a loving, merciful king, a kind and forgiving king. He is king of kings and lord of lords. I mean, we're going to be singing that at Christmas time and listening to it, the Hallelujah Chorus. And we're going to be thinking again about what it means that he's king. And scripture says in verse 7, quoting Zechariah and Daniel, that Jesus Christ, the king, will come back to establish his kingdom someday. He's going to be riding on the clouds. And he's going to be coming back to establish his kingdom. And that's breathtaking. And that's powerful. The king will come back. Now I want to uh, take a moment and broaden our lens perspective on the second coming of Jesus Christ. While I acknowledge that Scripture teaches there will be a time when Christ literally returns and establishes His kingdom uh, to end history as we know it, there are lots of other ways that Jesus Christ comes and enters our lives, the risen Christ, in a powerful way as King. I want to tell you a story to help us get into that. Helmut Tillich was a German pastor who pastored before and during Hitler's rise to power in Germany. He somehow survived the war 
And he was a successful and famous pastor after World War II. And he pastored well into the 1960s before he passed away uh, somewhere in the 20th century. Helmut Tillich, uh, in his autobiography, talks about how difficult it was to be a Christian confessing Jesus Christ as Lord in Hitler's Germany. You had to, first of all, fear that you were going to be scooped up by Hitler's troops and uh, you were going to be killed for uh, not submitting to Hitler's Nazi regime. You had to also worry about the Allied troops, the Allied planes bombing because you were German and you were living in the boundaries of Germany. And so here's what he says, something fascinating. He said, we learned the art of letting go. Think about that. We, earned the, we, we learn the art of letting go. Those things that we cherish, those things that we think are so important, those things that we build a lifetime accumulating, we earn the right and learn the art of letting go. But he says another interesting and strange thing happened. The smallest of life's blessings and pleasures became huge. He said, if you are aware of the fact that today you might be living your last day, if you're aware of the fact that you might die today because of bombing, in other words, that Christ would come for you personally with the end of your physical life, he said, when you start each day with that awareness, the smallest of blessings become beautiful. A cup of coffee, a favorite book, the smile of a friend. He said what happened was that ordinary things became filled with intensity and beauty. He said that life's smallest blessings became filled with what he calls a luminosity. They became luminous. They glowed. They became powerful. And I thought, what a beautiful word for the Sunday of Thanksgiving Day weekend. For us to take a breath and to say that the kingship of Jesus and the second coming of Christ isn't just about the end of history. It's about acknowledging that life is fragile. Acknowledging that life is brief. To name the fact that life is beautiful. And to live in the moment and to say life is fleeting. These blessings are right in front of me. Live the moment in the name of Christ. And let those moments glow with luminosity. With, with power. That's what it means to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then artwork has always been powerful in the description of the Alpha and Omega. Jesus is king, and that kingship is described as the Alpha and the Omega. And I think I have, we have a slide that, that is just one depiction of this verse 8. That's a crowning comment on the kingship of Jesus. Alpha was the first letter of the Greek alphabet. By this time, uh, the Jews were reading Greek, their Greek uh, Old Testament, the Septuagint. The Alpha was the first letter of the Greek alphabet. The Omega was the last letter of the Greek alphabet. As, as we would say, God declares that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the A and the Z and everything in between. Um, the Jewish rabbis, when they did their teaching, would say, you know, Adam and Eve sinned a lot. They sinned alpha through omega. 
That's what they said in their teaching. They sinned A through Z. And then Abraham came and he kept the law. And the rabbis would say, he kept the law alpha through omega. He kept the law A through Z. But John comes and says, Jesus says, God is the alpha and omega. Jesus is the alpha and omega. He's everything God has to say. He is the sovereign Lord who's above all who is, who was, and who will be, who encompasses all of history, and yet is our prophet and our priest as well. So I want us to take a moment, and I want us to think about what it is that John was experiencing on the island of Patmos. He was banished there, probably by the Roman government, for preaching. He was exiled to live by himself on an island. And I would just testify to you, if you want to really mess up a preacher, put him on an island all by himself. Nobody to preach to, nobody to talk to, nobody to sing with him. Talk about a punishment. He was placed on the island all by himself. And he could have felt sorry for himself. Could have given up in despair and bitterness. He faced new limitations. His life was a new reality there. His life was different. He couldn't go where he used to go. Couldn't do what he used to do. But one thing sustained him. The vision of the risen Christ as prophet and priest and king. That sustained him. Energized him. So you may be here this morning. And you may be a person who's living with some new reality, some new limits. It may be that life has changed for you. It may be that uh, you, uh, you've been mistreated or neglected. Could be that there are obstacles in your path that, that you didn't have any say-so over, you don't get to vote on it. Or for you, life has become a disappointment. And life is hurting and this, this place you are right now uh, is a difficult season. I want to encourage you this morning. Do what John did. Get a fresh vision of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. He's your prophet. He's got things to teach you. You need to listen. He's your priest. He loves you. He once for all paid for your sins, released you from that. You need to trust him as priest. And he's your king. We need to worship him. And in that renewed vision, in that fresh vision of the risen Christ, you're going to find adrenaline spiritually. You're going to find power. You're going to experience a new way of coping with your exile, with your banishment, with your struggle. Because the risen Lord is is King of Kings and Lord of Lords.